and welcome to All Tomorrow. I'm Muni Jensen. And I'm Peter Schechter. With the United States in what just seems like a, 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 I don't even know how to describe it, a perpetual never-ending chaos, let's do something else and look south today at Latin America. Is it any better there? Well, I'm afraid not. Paraphrasing one of our favorite guests, Council on Foreign Relations President Richard Haas, the region is in a state of disarray. The health, economic, and political repercussions of COVID are just reversing what has been such a great story over the past decades as countries from Mexico all the way to Chile were making strides at poverty reduction and trying to fix inequality. And, you know, I I even remember, Muni, when I joined the Atlantic Council just seven years ago to found their Latin America program. You know, we were touting like a new hemispheric partnership of Western values and social improvement, how far we've come down. And today's Latin America numbers, the 2020 GDP is devastating. It's a negative 9.1 growth with two-digit declines in Argentina, Peru, Uruguay, and of course, a multi-digit decline in Venezuela. And there's some exceptions, Peter, like Colombia, which is not doing great, but is in comparison doing pretty well. But the forecast for the entire region is really glum. The pandemic has triggered a a recession like no other. It's dragged down all of the social indicators that were inching up and, of course, amplifying unrest that had started even before the before COVID. The number of people in poverty is expected to reach 231 million. So it's the same level as 20, it's 2005. And this is the reality right now, along with rampant corruption and widespread social unrest. And you'll see why this is kind of the perfect recipe for a populist wave that's rising again as a regional electoral cycle begins. So today, to help us understand what comes next, we'll be joined by Ricardo Ernst, author, Georgetown University business professor and Latin American expert. I mean, it's really hard to find a smile anywhere in Latin America. I mean, discontent seems everywhere. If you just take a quick tour, Chile, the richest country in the neighborhood, made headlines when after months of massive anti-inequality protests, 78 that's, that's that's eight out of 10 voters approved the referendum to reform the country's dictator era constitution. Argentina, right next door, amid exploding COVID numbers, is buried in yet one more debt crisis, soaring poverty, currency meltdowns, social unrest, unpopular talks with the IMF. Brazil, just next door to that, managed to curb its exploding virus numbers from the devastating place that we're at. But, you know, huge environmental concerns, political wars where everybody is accusing each other of corruption, just darken the mood. And then there's the recurring theme of Venezuela's total meltdown and self-destruction with yet another round of fake elections slated for December. So many Latin American countries and Colombia, especially, Muni, I mean, I know you know that, welcome Venezuela's nearly 4 million refugees that have today become a real weight on these countries' economies. Well, that's a really concerning list of um, of concerns, <laughs> not to be redundant. But Peru has had three presidents in a week among outbreaks of civilian violence after 
former president Vizcarra was impeached by dubious means, I will add. In Central America, countries are struggling with their own natural disasters, immigration crises, and rising concerns about El Salvador's millennial autocrat, Najib Bukele, and Mexico, of course. Mexico under Andes Manuel López Obrador, AMLO, juggles outside COVID deaths and threats from organized criminal groups, while the business community faces constant uncertainty from a fickle president who actually blames neoliberalism for every crisis. Well, that, my Altamar friends, is a high-speed and incredibly sobering roundup of an embattled region. The, the meltdown is occurring in the context of like serious geopolitical concerns. First, the competition for Latin America's raw materials and trade is increasingly a battle that China is winning due to Trump's pretty much withdrawing from the region, save for just harping repeatedly on Cuba and Venezuela. Today, Beijing is the region's largest lender and the top trading partner for Argentina, Chile, Peru, Uruguay. From dredging out the Panama Canal to building the potential metro in Bogota and enormous Huawei networks in Mexico and the Southern Cone, China has slowly but surely increased its footprint over the last decade in this former so-called backyard of the United States. And to add to the list of concerns is climate change, which, of course, is all over the world, but has hit Latin America in the form of Category 5 hurricanes, devastating fires, and droughts, which have wiped out entire cities and livelihoods and agricultural and tourism industries that were growing in the past decades. The result is, of course, more poverty, displacement, strained budgets, just very strange government budgets for rebuilding destroyed cities and towns. And even in there, if there's a lot of enthusiasm about more renewables, the low price of oil adds another source of tension to the region's already fragile economy and increases the threats of unrest and political uncertainty and further democratic erosion. Okay, but can I just say one thing before we introduce our guest, Muni? I mean, it's not the first time. I mean, we've had incredibly sobering outlooks in Latin America before, and we've seen before how Latin America is young and resilient and still ripe with opportunity and talent and has a track record of overcoming hardship, horrible governments, economic collapse, and efforts to eradicate poverty and inequality were successful until COVID hit, or at least until the, oh, until the last few years, and they can be successful again. The question here is that desire and democracy to, and protection of human rights is now widespread, and, it's, and it has a busy, opinionated media. And I, I just hope that all this populism is not going to be like a wave drowning all this. So to shed some light here and hopefully you know, shed some of his well-known enthusiasm. Ricardo is a very good friend. We're joined by Professor Ricardo Ernst. And Ricardo is the Barada Chair in Global Business and co-director of the Global Logistics Research Program in the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University. He's also the managing director of both the Global Business Initiative and the Latin American Board, as well as executive director of the Latin America Leadership Program. He recently co-authored a book called Globalization, Competitiveness, and Governabilities, all themes that we can discuss right now for the region. So welcome, Ricardo. It is great to have you with us. Us. Well, thank you, Muni. I'm so happy to be here and sharing uh, with you my ideas uh, on the region. Uh, it, it's great to be with you. Um, as you can imagine, 
I am fully committed to the region and have made my sense of purpose. I mean, everybody should have a sense of purpose. And my sense of purpose is how can I help the region? I, I always want to give like an optimist view. And then how can we make the region what it should be? Because uh, as we all can agree on, the region is not where it should be. And then we have been debating this for such a long time that uh, hopefully this pandemic will allow us to push it where it should be. So the timing couldn't be better, Ricardo. We have just completed a very depressing tour of Latin America in the past few minutes, um, discussing the triple threat of health, the economy, and political crisis. So we now want to hear your view on the current state of affairs in the region. All right. Well, you know, I think that to be negative about the region is going to take us nowhere. I mean, what's the point of uh, bringing more pessimism to the region? Let's be optimistic. Optimistic is if you look at uh, where the re first we have a lot, a lot of young people. And the young people are very creative. And even if you want to portray them as or sell to them the negative view, they always find a way. And that is because that's the nature of the younger generation. So in Latin America, we are fortunate that we have a lot of young people. And I would uh, even say that these uh, younger generations are very creative. And uh, we should give them the opportunity. We should encourage them. Now, the, the only place where I would push uh, opposed to most other people is I would encourage our people in the region to stay in the region. One of the things that I admire the most about the U.S. is that they have been talking for a long time about the American dream. American dream has been like this guiding force, like, you know, the American dream. The time has come for us to start pushing for the Latin American dream. We should push our people, start dreaming about your region. You know, let me put it this way. Most of the people that you know in the region, their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, they're all from the region. What's the point of leaving their countries? There is no point. What, are they going to come to America? As if in America they're going to be like in their own land. Let me break the news for you. This is not their land. It will never be their land. Their land is where they're coming from. Let's go back and create, create the Latin American dream. How can we make people to feel proud of where they're coming from? And I would add that with the pandemic, we have a great opportunity because Many people are reluctant, and we, in my area of expertise is supply chain management, and most people are talking about the nearshoring, reshoring, everything dealing with the value added, and then now is an opportunity because over time, many of the players in the region have demonstrated that they can be very good partners. And I have specific examples about how in different industries, we have been great partners. And actually, one of the problems that they have in the U.S. that they don't like about us is immigration. Because, you know, the Latin Americans, they want to come, they want to jump the fence, they want to do whatever they want to do, as long as they come to share the American dream that doesn't belong to them. They are not part of the American dream. They should be part of the Latin American dream. Well, you know what? If we improve, if we improve the living condition, the situation for the countries in the region, and we actually encourage all this Latin American dream to go forward, then 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 immigration will be a problem result for the U.S. So I want to position this not as a win-win, but as a win-win-win, many wins. Ricardo, that's a great assessment. But right now, all three of us are, are, are living in Washington. Uh, mm -hmm. You and I are Latin American. We are living a new Biden administration or at least a new Biden transition. Mm -hmm. And Latin Americans are wondering what will happen to the U.S.-Latin America partnership and what are the new administration's top issues, top concerns and top countries to focus on? Okay, you know what? The problem is that we are always in Latin America sitting down and waiting. And what are the Americans going to do? What is the Biden administration going to do? Hey, 
Do they have a moral responsibility? Are they supposed to solve our problems? When are we going to take the responsibility in our own hands? You know, this is not like, well, what do you think the Biden is? You know what? Biden has enough problems. Biden has enough problems with the country the way it is today to start worrying what's going to happen in Latin America. I would argue that in Latin America, we should take this opportunity. Actually, this is a vacuum there because we don't know. We don't know what the continuity of all the policies is going to be. So why don't we talk? Why don't we try pushing the local leadership in the region? And we encourage them to take the opportunity because the window of opportunity is closing. Let me tell you even more about that. You know who should be stepping up big time? What, who, who should be stepping up big time? The private sector. The private sector, you guys in the private sector, smell the coffee. You have to start doing something. It is your responsibility because you have been leveraging all this for your own good. And I'm not being critical. I'm not judging. I'm just saying the time has come for the private sector to step up and start sitting down waiting. What is the Biden administration going to do? They're going to do whatever they're going to do. They're going to do what they have always do, which is what's in their best interest for them. So we should not start, keep waiting to see what is it that they're going to be doing. We should be take the opportunity, take the lead, take the lead. Right now, we have many things happening in different places. Many private sector initiatives are out there. Well, let's find a way to work together and push that forward. So, Ricardo, let, let me take you back down to the realities of okay. the upheaval everywhere today. I mean, so... You see it in Peru, you see it in Chile, you see it in Brazil, in Bolivia. Mm -hmm. I mean, not to mention your own Venezuela, but do you see any common threads to the social and political unrest across the board in the region? Or does each country have isolated issues that trigger the unrest? Well, it's a very good point. I think that this is like, a, this is like the pandemic. It's contagious. It's contagious. We have to agree. We have to admit that uh, over the years there has been an incredible polarization of the income, a polarization of the income that has been used and abused big time. If we want to get technical, the Gini coefficient in Latin America is the worst. I mean, we are the most, the most unequal, unequal uh, region in the world, and that's something really bad. But, you know, to keep repeating what is bad and then what are we going to, you know, to, to keep complaining, my, my point is the following. Why don't we change the rhetoric and we try to see where are the opportunities? And I would like to say that the opportunities are in pushing the younger generations. What are the qualifications required for the younger generations to engage in what needs to be done? Do we have good examples? Yeah, look at Mercado Libre. Mercado Libre, yeah, you can say, well, there is one Mercado Libre. But there is, you need to start somewhere. I mean, and what, what do you want to say? Well, let's talk about Embraer. Let's talk about the way Chile, even though Chile has all kinds of problems, but there are many companies that have been successful throughout this process. I don't like to look at the bad. I would like to illuminate the good. And then even though I agree with you that if you start looking at the political situation, it's really bad. And then in Brazil, you have a president that is the right of the right. And in Mexico, you have a guy that is the left of the left. And then, yeah, all that is so. I mean, where are we going with that, with that, with that conversation? What, where are we going by just reminding ourselves of all the problems we have? Why don't we encourage? I mean, I think that we need to be looking for industries, and this is what, one thing that I'm trying to push big time, where we don't grow linearly. We need to start looking for industries where we can leapfrog, leapfrog, because if you're only going linear, you're always behind. So like in uh, digital finance, for example, Look what the Africans do. Can you imagine that the Africans in many dimensions are better than we are? 
I mean, that's something that you can digest um, and without uh, even opening your eyes and saying, what, what did you say? Well, yeah, I mean, there are many places in, in Africa which was doomed to be, you know, even worse than we are. And if you look at the, all the, the, many of the metrics, they're doing very, very well. But why don't we try to, I'm not saying we're going to copy them. We're just saying that we need to find some leadership that is pushing for industries where we have the opportunity of leapfrogging. I am very excited about the Mercado Libre situation because it's a good example of an industry where they are like engaging in the latest thing that the world is offering, which is e-commerce, and they are developing on technology, which is state of the art, and that those are things that are not growing linearly. These are things that were able to grow, overcoming all the normal barriers that you have for traditional commerce and these things that are always there. So that's a good example. We should find more of those we are very creative. We as a group of people, we are so many in the region. We are over 620 million people. And then the time has come to start thinking more as a region, no more like the isolated countries where we have this nationalism that is taking us nowhere. Now, what that requires is leadership. And I know that's easier said than done, but what I, I would like to encourage and I would like to promote is alliances between the public and the private sector. Let the private sector get more and more involved into the public arena. And that is what we try to approach them. Let me just also bring in, so there's one country, like you, you said, the United States, Biden will do what Biden does, but there's certainly one country that has made enormous trade and investment in roads in Latin America mm -hmm. because they clearly believe in Latin America, which is China. Well, first off, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that China uh, goes to Latin America because they see opportunities in Latin America. I would say they go to Latin America because they see it's a fantastic source of raw material, the way that we have always been. I mean, how can you explain? And I always play that game. Can you name? Can you name randomly? Randomly, without thinking too long, three brands that are from the U.S. You have no problem thinking about that. McDonald's. Coca-Cola and this and the other. If I say the same thing, name three brands that come from uh, Europe. Then you can come and say Lego, Zara. But if I were to tell you, name three brands that are well-known around the world in consumer goods from Latin America. And we are 620 million people. And then you cannot come with one. I mean, it's, it's more difficult. The only one that might come to your mind is Havaianas, which I make a lot of fun of that because that out of Brazil, which was the sixth largest economy in the world, the only brand that can be recognized is Havaianas, which are cheap flip-flops. And rather than calling it Brazilianas, which would have been more appropriate, they call it Hawaiian. But in any event, my point being, China is taking an opportunity because they see, hey, they saw the hole in the whole thing. Because the axis of influence is not moving anymore north-south, it's moving more east-west. And that's what China is taking advantage of. Now, are they seeing the opportunity in Latin America? I'm not sure about that. Now, we, because we follow the tradition of the easy route, then we are doing business with them. They have a lot of money. They have a, a long-term view of the whole process. But are they really adding value to the region? I mean, if you think about the figures, I mean, just getting, a, again, a little bit technical. Before the pandemic, the productivity in Latin America and the Caribbean has been worse than ever. We were behind. And why? Because it's not based on technology. It's based on labor. It's based on employing people. That's really bad. I mean, rather than improving productivity based on technology, then that's what we do. Even China, that is, you know, the most populous country in the world, their, their productivity today is due to not people, but technology. And in Latin America is the worst in the world. 
Why? Well, so, you know, I'm not 100% that I buy the Chinese thing. They're great. They have been bringing a lot of money and they, you know, they are like kind of partners. But I, I think that we should be doing our own thing, especially in light of the fact that we have enough volume. We are enough people. And then we have a people that is more homogeneous than more than what you see in other places. And I always like to make that line. I mean, what looks closer to you, a Colombian to a, uh, to a Venezuelan or a German to an Italian? And then at the end of the day, the Germans and the Italians were able to get the European Union. And we in Latin America, we don't even have anything. The closest we have is Mercosur, which is a failure, big time failure that is going nowhere. And, you know, where is that going? So I think the time has come to push it forward and be positive and push for something we could do ourselves. Ricardo, you mentioned Mercosur. Sí. Very quickly, Brazil seems to be recovering from a COVID surge, has issues with wildfires, political overheating as well. Bolsonaro uh, in, in all of his controversy, Argentina with yet another economic crisis. Can you give me a very brief outlook for both Brazil and Argentina? And I realize how hard that is because these are two of the most complex countries. Yeah. Well, it's very, very hard. I think that unfortunately, unfortunately, we are weak in the region in the sense that we are very easily tempted by populism. You know, if you come with somebody comes to sell you something good, then we buy it immediately without being cynical about it. So some element of cynicism should come. Argentina that, you know, had a president. Macri was a great guy. He really wanted to solve the situation. Look what happened after all. After he wanted to sincerar the economy in the region. Look what happened. Brazil is kind of interesting because, you know, Bolsonaro, that is such a radical guy. But at the end of the day, he's seeing that it, all those things are needed. Let me let me try to be succinct, as you're asking me to be. I believe in pendulums. I think that the economic pendulum moves, the social pendulum moves, the political pendulum moves. And then these pendulums have their own life of moving. And then nothing can get really, really extremely negative before eventually coming and becoming positive. So that's what I see in the region. I think that eventually all this will come back. But in some of these countries, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But Brazil already went very much down that route. And now the pendulum is slowly coming back. So in Argentina, we'll see. I mean, it, it will all depend on how they renegotiate. I mean, think about it. They got an incredible amount of money from the IMF. Macri negotiated all that. Now, what do we do with that? I mean, it's kind of a how do you develop trust? The fact that we have such a bad rap in, in, in the region is something that we have to work for. And that's where, again, I go into the private sector. Because the private many of the companies in the private sector in these countries have international recognition international reputation. I mean, if you think about Giorgio Paul Lehman in Brazil, Giorgio Paul Lehman by himself is a guy that he can go to the to the Latin, to the world markets and, and bring, improve the, the image of the country. And where, where is he? He's in the private sector. So what is the role that people like him, I'm not just uh, picking on him, I'm just saying people like him should be driving. And then in Argentina, you have people like that, you have leaders in the private sector. So I would like, like a new mandate for us in the region should be private sector, step up. The time for you has come to start leading and taking a position and taking a stance in the public sector in a way that you have to have the patience to continue pushing until we overcome this problem. Okay, Ricardo, but let me let me just argue with you. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. that that all sounds wonderful and great, and I love the new paradigm, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But Latin America's private sector has never ever really done a great job of pushing for change. Of course. Some private sector companies have done a wonderful job of pushing for their own success. 
like like any company would. But I mean, they're the most freedmen of the freedmen's. They mm-hmm. never believe in improving society. They just improve in believing improving their companies. So what, what where where are you going to dream up and now come out of the out of the genie bottle, mm-hmm. this private sector that is suddenly concerned with national or regional improvement. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll tell you where. And I cannot agree with you more. The private sector has, if we, without, without being to, a, to an extreme, they have benefited themselves. If you go to, to the Gini coefficient, even though the, the comparison between countries is getting better, but within countries is getting worse. In other words, the Gini coefficient within countries, the polarization is even wider. I want to, and that is what I do at Georgetown when I have my two programs. I have the GCL, the Global Competitive Leadership Program, and the Innovation Leadership in Government. What I want is for the people to go back to their countries and in the younger generations that they are more sensitive to this reality. When they are sent and they start working, and some of them are the sons and daughters of all these guys that you're talking about, they need we need to start changing the message. And changing, changing the message implies that the younger generations are the ones that should start leading their countries. And I have many examples. Why am I optimistic? Because otherwise, I mean, I should say, you know, guys, let's forget about it. And I see that some of these tangible examples of the alumni that have gone through my programs, that they go back to their countries and they start doing good stuff slowly but surely. I mean, you cannot expect a miracle overnight. It has taken us a long time to be where we are, and then it will take some time to be coming out of this hole where we are. Now, I'd rather be optimistic and I'd rather put the light on the younger generations and make them feel that unless they do something about it, and then I agree with you that the older generation say, man, it has been great. Well, why do you want to shake this thing? Well, the time is here to start shaking that reality. And my job is to start bombarding the newer generation, the younger generations, into smell the coffee and take responsibility. And that, is that easy? No, but we need to do it. But in countries like Mexico, the opposite is happening. I mean, you have, you have a president in Mexico who has done nothing but to antagonize and, you know, put the fear of God into the private sector. Okay. But, you know, the problem with generalizations is that, you know, one metric that I don't like at all is the average. Because the average is the, one of the most misleading metrics in the world. Why? Because if you go to a restaurant, there are the top three billionaires in the country, and you just happen to be in the restaurant. Believe me, the average, the average wealth of all the people in the restaurant is not what you would love to have. You continue being the same poor guy as before, and they continue to be billionaires. But the average is very high. Now, we cannot make those, uh, you know, those uh, statements and, and just be driven by the average. I have been, I take many students to the region, as you know, and then when I have been in Monterrey, Mexico, Monterrey, Mexico, if you go to one of the most important suppliers of the automobile industry uh, for the U.S., actually is the number one supplier for four company in the U.S. If you go in there, you think, you think that you enter into a plant in Japan. And that's state of the art. I mean, this guy is worried, obviously, that, you know, the president might not be supporting all the things he does, but he continues pushing. And is this a guy that is benefiting all, all, all along about the situation of being, yes, yes, all that is a yes. But there are some elements, some clusters 
And that's where our our job should be. We that are, you know, just sending messages around is to identify like probably some industries where they have been doing a great job. I can tell you, for example, forget about Mexico, that is such a huge country and we might agree in some of the elements. But what about Central America? Honduras. Honduras just had the most incredible, you know, they have this sad natural disaster. But if you see how the textile industry is doing in Honduras, you won't believe it. You will not believe it. And you know what you might not believe? That, uh, that's why I'm optimistic. Because I see the sons and daughters of the, of the people of those companies and how, how much embedded they are into the possibility of rescuing their country and in the possibility of bring, making people to come to Honduras. And I see the same thing in Guatemala. I say, now, having said this, well, is all this, this nice and how beautiful I'm describing it. I'm not that naive. I mean, I'm very well aware of the, of the dark side of all what I'm saying, but I'm trying to put the light on the positive things and make those contagious rather than, you know, continue talking about, yeah, but look at the bad, look at the bad. Yeah, I know. But can we talk about the good and try to make the good something contagious? And more and more people say, you know what, this guy, this crazy lunatic that speaks so loud and is screaming all the time, maybe let's listen to him for some second. I mean, for a few minutes, and let's see if there's anything that can come out of it. I agree with the dark side. I'm very well aware of the dark side, but I would like to see this possible to rescue and encourage our people to go back to the region and do something there. Now, am I a dreamer? Yeah, maybe. But, you know, I want to put like, you know, a, a high bar into the younger generations, into the, the, the people that they still have the stamina, they still have the energy, and hopefully they have the willingness to uh, just look at the countries and make of those their Latin American dream. Okay, Ricardo, you talked about several trends that are interesting and they're encouraging and they, they take away a little mm -hmm. bit of our, of our depression. You mentioned the repatriation of the, of the educated youth and how the business sec sector in some way some has to like supplant governments that are fragile or they're faulty. Uh, you talked about the, the possibility for technological advancement, but these are all uh, initiatives mm -hmm. that are run by the elites. And Latin America, yes, has many elites and their children and, and, and a lot of great ideas yeah. there, but it's a, it's a It's a region of of the poor and and, yes. a, and a rising middle class. What trends do you see taking shape in the region um, mm -hmm. aside from the ones that you mentioned? Okay, you're you're raising something very important. And actually, the pandemic is making the situation worse. If we want to visit revisit for a second the dark side, I mean, uh, there are many many companies that will be closing because of the because of the pandemic. They are like uh, many of the unemployment. There is, I mean, all those things that we're going to talk now. Let me just address the issue of the poverty. Poverty is a reality. Poverty is something and inequality is part of the whole process. Now, my issue is the following. My issue is the following. That when our governments, when our governments have been trying to help through their populism, the poor people, to make them to vote for these dreams and all that stuff, what I am advocating for is some element of ownership and accountability. In other words, let's continue helping them. But let's expect something in return. I think it's extremely important to continue helping them. It's not necessarily all their fault. But what the public policies need to change is when we give them something, expecting something in return. What has been one of the most incredible sins in the region is to give without expecting because, you know, that guild has allowed us to continue rolling the ball. 
I think that in many of these industries, and actually there are many, like in the informal economies that, you know, that's where the whole issue is. How do we protect the informal economy? But making sure that there's some elements of accountability and ownership are part of the process. I believe in shared responsibility. Responsibility doesn't go one way from the elites down and from the government down and then the poor people expecting. We need to find a way of continuing the help, but at the at, at, with some level of expectation. They need to contribute. They need to also be proactive part, not recipients, but active part. Now, what industries are those? Well, that is the challenge. And I would argue that every country will need to evaluate what are the industries where they have some competitive advantage. We don't have the magic one for every country. And I am a person particularly against standardized solutions. I think that every country needs to evaluate what are they good at and then leverage on that. And that is where the private sector that, you know, we have been criticizing because they are selfish and all this and that, which I can fundamentally agree with, but it's the private sector where we can see and evaluate how we can we come up with new public policies that will allow the alliance with the public and private sector incorporating. And let me just finish with that. In this initiative that I'm very involved in Central America with the Triangulo Norte, where you have Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. You know what is a, one of the most incredible things of this initiative? What comes again and again out of the private sector is a social component. They are very, at the beginning, I was like cynical. Yeah, you say that because it will look good. Say, no, we are not saying that because it looks good. We are saying that because it's the only way to be sustainable is by helping the communities, by helping the poor, and by developing these rural areas into the development that we'd like to be for our region. Ricardo Ernst, thank you for joining us on Altamar. It's great to hear a, a contrary and alternate view that's more optimistic and upbeat. Thank you. My pleasure. Anytime. I'm just going to ask you, Peter, one word answer. Pessimistic or optimistic about Latin America today? Well, in the end, I'm optimistic because uh, Latin America always muddles through, but the pain, the suffering, the difficulty, the static, the stagnation, the unemployment, the currency problems, the inflation are all these pains that you just keep happening again and again. And uh, sure, there'll be a, I agree with Ricardo, there'll be a pendulum swing. The, the problem is like, while the pendulum is swinging from one side to the other, the level of pain is dramatic. I'm left with one really strong message is the private sector needs to step up and not just the giant companies, but small and medium sized companies have people that are involved in tech and new, uh, new economic sectors absolutely cannot be apart from the political spectrum. They have to be inside involved and part as, as architects of, of, of a whole region's renewal. Yeah. I mean, I don't believe in that at all. I feel like the, in America, we have not taught anybody and certainly no Latin American student who's studied here that the private sector has a role to play. I mean, this is a whole new issue. I mean, only recently has com companies like Levi's or, uh, or Ben and Jerry's or others recently been involved in social activities and social issues. Um, but it's a really recent phenomenon. I mean, And, you know, most companies just think that my role is to make money. And if on the way I get to hire a few people, that's good for society. Well, Latin America needs to step up. And it's, it's probably the, the decade of the activist business in Latin America. Hopefully. Thank you for joining us. See you next time on Altamar.